I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. Austin has ice, so just FYI, you're probably going to hear it. I'm Kelly's husband, and she loves me. Yes, I do. So this episode is part two of a series on Casey Anthony. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, go listen to that first. We talk about... Casey's upbringing and just kind of who she was as a person before Kaylee went missing. And in this episode, we are going to dive a little deeper into the extent of Casey's lies and manipulation and just how she was able to get away with having a missing daughter for 31 whole days. That's insane. So last time we left off talking about a trip that Casey was planning to take to Puerto Rico with a few of her friends, Ricardo Morales, his roommate, and one of Casey's best friends, Amy Hazanga, and Troy Brown. So I kind of just want to elaborate on this situation because it ends up becoming important, and I want you to remember who these people are. So Amy Hazanga and Casey were really close, and they were actually planning on moving in together because Casey told Amy that her parents were getting divorced, her dad was moving out, and her mom was going to be moving into a condo, leaving the house to Casey. So Casey was wanting a roommate to help pay the mortgage, and Amy was super excited for this opportunity. They got so far into their plans that Amy had already sent a change of address form in and she was getting stuff delivered to their house. And while they're texting about the house, they're also planning this Puerto Rico trip for the first two weeks of July. And in a text to Amy, Casey says, quote, as long as we take our trip within the first two weeks of July, I'm set. I just got my vacation cleared. And she's referring to her job at Universal. Which doesn't exist, right? Correct. The job that she no longer has. But she has emails, Austin, multiple emails from Thomas Frank, Gabe Marsh, Michael Hamilton, Cheryl Davis, Juliette Lewis. Austin, these people and these email addresses were all fake. So she went back and made up fake universal emails. They're not even universal emails. They're like Cheryl Davis at Yahoo. It's not even a universal address. But she's creating these email addresses and then sending them to herself, seeing or CCing, I'm sorry, a bunch of other random email addresses to make it look a little more legit. So one of the emails from Cheryl Lewis was thanking Casey and her coworkers for the great work that they did on this Battle of the Bands event at Universal Studios. Oh my gosh. Another email was from Gabe Marsh. And I find this one very interesting. And this is what I got excited about. Was it earlier today or last night? Last night, Kelly was doing research, and she goes, oh, my God, babe, I just found something that I've never seen on any Casey Anthony info anywhere. So I'm yes. excited to hear what this is. So I actually, I never heard that she had been making up all these email addresses. That was news to me. But um, once I started digging a little deeper, there was an email from a guy supposedly named Gabe Marsh. And I found it interesting because even the language sounds like it's Casey writing it. So the email at one point says, quote, we're still blocked from the building. Surprise, surprise, end quote. And you might not know this, but those of you who are familiar with the Casey Anthony case, 
Casey says, surprise, surprise, in a jailhouse recording during a phone call with her parents when they tell her that the news was saying Kaylee was dead, that they were like assuming she was dead. And her reaction was, surprise, surprise, which was, I mean, obviously that sticks out. Like heartless. Yes. And um, we'll touch on that again in the next episode. But um, at the end of the email, she signs it, Ciao Bella. And later she gets a tattoo on her shoulder that says Bella Vida. So I just feel like the the linguistics are very similar. And so that kind of shot out as obvious to me. The second I started reading this email before I knew it was fake, I was like, this doesn't, this sounds like Casey writing it. And then once I dug deeper, I saw emails from the detective to someone who actually worked at Orlando and he was trying to verify these employees, all these different names. She was like, we don't have records of these people working here. Cheryl Lewis or Cheryl Davis was the only employee that they had had, but it was back in like 1999. That's interesting. Yeah. But anyway, the point of Gabe's email was to say that she would be needed for work around 10 p.m. on May 14th, but she actually went to a club called Voyage that evening with her friends Ricardo, Troy, and Amy. So it's obvious that she's creating these fake emails so she could lie to her parents about going to clubs so that they would watch Kaylee for her. Cindy was really strict. She didn't love the fact that Casey was sometimes absent and seemed to care more about socializing than being a mom. And she threw it in her face a lot. Like the fact that Casey seemed to prioritize partying and was out a lot. But if Casey told Cindy she was working, it would take the heat off of her so she could just go do what she wanted. But she'd also lie to her best friend Amy about working. Rather than admit that she was staying the night with a guy named Chris Stutz or Stutz, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but she told Amy, and I'm assuming her parents too probably, that she was working late. So Casey just told lies to either make her life easier by having a reason for her parents to watch Kaylee or to make herself look better so Amy wouldn't judge her for sleeping with another guy that wasn't her boyfriend. Either way, Casey's life revolved around Casey, and she would do absolutely anything to make sure she got her way. So the weeks that followed, she continues to lie about work so that she can go party with her friends. This group of friends went out a lot, or real, they would have house parties. Real quick, sorry. Mm-hmm. I just, to try to, I've obviously seen her before, but how old is she at this point? She's 21, 22, okay. when all this goes on. Okay. I literally was about to say (laughs) they're in their early 20s. (laughs) That's awesome. Sorry. It's okay. Um, So they're in their early 20s and they don't have any, her friends don't have any kids or any other real responsibilities. So Casey is just doing her best to keep up and probably to like live this life she never really got to experience because she had a kid young. But it wouldn't always work out because Cindy would hound Casey about her whereabouts, saying things like, where are you? When are you going to be home with Kaylee? I want to go to sleep. You need to come home and be with your child. But on nights that she really didn't want to miss out on the fun and she had no other option, she would just bring Kaylee with her, sometimes sleeping with her child on the couch of a friend's house. Not a place a child should have to be. A two-year-old child should not be sleeping on the couch with her mom at a friend's house, like a, a party house, just so her mom can party. I can't even fathom. I can't either. A two-year-old should be tucked into her Winnie the Pooh bed, safe and surrounded by her family who loves her. So one night... 
she almost got caught lying because she told her friends that she had to work and that's why she couldn't keep the plans that she made with them. But then Amy found out she was actually at Club Fusion with Tony, her boyfriend. She said that her boss sent her, like her boss from Universal, sent her to Fusion to check on his daughter to make sure she was there, like to spy on his daughter. And when she's confronted in a lie, it's like her brain works so quick to come up with these creative and albeit weird excuses. It's actually kind of crazy how quickly her brain just does these mental gymnastics. Like uh-huh. My boss sent me to the bar or the club that we go to to check on his kid. Yeah, that's why I was there. It wasn't because I was blowing you guys off or because I actually wanted to be around my new boyfriend. Weird. I was actually working. So another bold-faced lie that Casey told was on June 13th, and this is just a few days before Kaylee went missing. Casey and Kaylee were supposed to go with Amy to Jacksonville so that Amy could pick up a car that she was buying. But on the morning they were supposed to go, Casey texted Amy saying they were on the way to the hospital because George almost had a stroke. She texted her saying, quote, he just gave my mom and I a huge scare. I'm glad he's all right. He's stubborn, end quote. But this was all a lie. George never had a stroke. He never went to the hospital. It was, nev- it was a lie. And when they actually asked him about it later on, he was like, this is just so bizarre. No, I never had a mini stroke. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if I did. And he was like, this is so bizarre. It's insane. That same day, Casey asked her friend Ricardo if he was going to Fusion that night, and he said no. But obviously, Casey intended to go to Fusion, So is this why Casey blew Amy off because she wanted to go to Fusion? Or maybe she just didn't want to go but just didn't want to say that. So she's like, well, I'm going to come up with a lie that makes you feel bad for me. You know, if I say my dad's in the hospital, you're not going to question that. Or you're a jerk, right? Probably like listeners and like you, I'm trying to like be inside this person's head. But I can't help but think she's just a super immature idiot. Yeah, well, and just, and sick. Like, Mm -hmm. there's something really seriously wrong if you can just be this fluent in lying and, like, telling such deep, elaborate lies that involve other people that actually do exist and some people who don't exist. Like, how do you keep it all straight? It would have to be exhausting. Mm -hmm. So anyway, either way, later that night, the 13th, was Tony's Hip Hop Showcase at Club Fusion. So Casey was there, and she ended up spending the night at Tony's apartment without Kaylee. So now we're at Father's Day, which is Sunday the 15th, the day before Kaylee went missing. On this day, Cindy and Kaylee swam in the pool in their backyard. Casey was not there. This was an above-ground pool with a removable ladder. So after swimming, Cindy said she always put the ladder away because it was a safety measure. And they always um, took it away to keep Kaylee from getting up into the pool. So then Cindy took Kaylee to the Mount Dora nursing home where Cindy's dad was living. And there's this really sweet picture of Kaylee with her great-grandpa, Alex, Alex is wearing this yellow t-shirt. Kaylee's on his lap, resting her head on his chest. And Alex has his arm wrapped around Kaylee. And Kaylee's just kind of like looking shyly at the camera. It's a really sweet moment. Later that day, Cindy took Kaylee to see Cindy's mom, Shirley. And this is the moment, the fundamental moment in my opinion, where things really start to get complicated. And it's not widely talked about, but we're going to talk about it. So the evening of Father's Day, the 15th, 
Cindy takes Kaylee to visit her mom. And during this visit, Shirley, which is Cindy's mom, expressed frustration with Casey because she found out Casey had been stealing money from both of the grandparents' separate checking accounts. Shocked. I'm shocked. Yeah. And Shirley was upset with Cindy because Cindy and George got Casey out of trouble. So Casey didn't have to account for what she'd done. They were enabling this poor behavior, just the story of Casey's life. Casey lies, her parents lie for her. And this dynamic seems like Cindy was either in extreme denial and George was a bit of a pushover, always trying to keep the peace, or maybe she just was in a very codependent relationship with her daughter. But rather than admit her daughter was a thief, they would rather just brush it under the rug and act like it didn't happen. Rather admit that Casey was pregnant. She told people she was just having female problems. Was this denial an attempt to avoid embarrassment? Or like I said, is this the part of a codependent relationship, a love-hate relationship between mother and daughter that Cindy didn't want to lose? Was she afraid of losing Casey and thereby losing Kaylee if she actually made Casey own up to her actions? Maybe she was afraid that if the conflict got too severe, Casey would take Kaylee from her and not allow her to see her like Casey essentially using Kaylee as a pawn. I feel like these are all valid questions. I think these are things that have come up between them. And it goes both ways. There were instances of Cindy saying that she would fight for custody of Kaylee because Casey was an unfit mother. And then there was times Casey would take Kaylee away to punish her mom. This is kind of like off track, but this is mama mystery. And like part of the dynamic is, we're husband and wife and people enjoy the fact that I'm not into true crime. You are, Mm -hmm. I bring this up because as you're saying all this, what I'm thinking is like, we've talked about obviously like how women usually typically think more on emotions and Mm -hmm. men usually use more logic and that's not a knock to either gender. I mean, it just is what it is. I mean, Mm -hmm. men can lack compassion. Women can lack logic, vice versa. Like it's careful. I'm not trying to 90% of our listeners are women. I'm not trying to sound like a jerk. I'm like tiptoeing here because people are going to be like, Austin's a misogynistic a-hole. No, but I know what you're saying. saying. It's just women tend to be on a more emotional side. Okay. So the reason I bring it up though is because like, and maybe this is just me, but as you're going through all of this, um, you know, the mom being codependent with the daughter and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to me. Cause I'm like, man, everything you're saying makes sense, but I would have never thought of that. I would have thought like, no, you're enabling and you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just, I'm, I just use that point to try to tell you like I, my, the way my brain works, I'm like, no, you're enabling period. And you're like, but there could be this backstory of emotions back and forth. That's causing this. And I'm listening to you and I'm like, this is interesting because what you're saying makes perfect sense. I just don't think I would have thought of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's why George kind of stayed in the background for a lot of it because he just wanted to keep the peace. He didn't want the drama. And I'm sure there were times he got frustrated, but the majority of the conflict was always between Cindy and Casey. Yeah, it's interesting. Which Hopefully is interesting now right that now. Casey's pinning this entire thing on her dad. Yeah. That's like kind of like the irony of everything. Right. Yeah. If anyone, I would have thought she'd pin it on her mom, but maybe that would be too hard knowing her mom was at work when Kaylee went missing. So anyway, that evening on Father's Day, the Anthony's neighbor heard yelling coming from the Anthony home. And he said it wasn't unusual to hear arguing coming from their house because Casey had, quote, one hell of a temper, end quote. 
But he specifically remembered hearing yelling coming from the home and hearing Casey call her mom things that he would never call his parents, which I think is why it's cemented in his mind. But when Cindy and George were later asked about this, they totally denied it, saying there was never a fight in the home. But what would the neighbor stand to gain by lying? Probably a lot less than the Anthony's would lose by telling the truth. Mm -hmm. So this brings us to June 16th, 2008, the day Kaylee goes missing. And what follows are 31 days where Casey does not mention it at all. So the last time George or Cindy saw or heard Kaylee was when Casey left with Kaylee, saying that she was heading to Tampa on a work trip. George says that Casey and Kaylee left carrying backpacks at about one o'clock that day. Casey was even wearing a laminated ID around her neck for added effect. A, a universal, like a universal studio yes, one? Yes, Austin. She oh had like a nice gosh. outfit on, like some pinstripe slacks. This is mind-blowing. Yes. How, how many months have been going on she's been faking this job? I, I don't know. I haven't yeah, done the it math. Matter, it's a lot. Multiple. Yeah. So she left with Kaylee and drove around until she knew George would be gone for work because his shift started at 3 p.m. and he'd usually leave for work around 2.30. But according to cell phone records, her phone pinged near her parents' home, indicating she didn't go far. At 1 p.m., she called her boyfriend, Tony. At 1.44 p.m., she called her friend, Amy. And at 2.52, she called her ex-fiance, Jesse Grund, the man who was like a father to Kaylee from day one, who would surely recognize Kaylee's voice, right? So during that call at 2.52 p.m., Jesse said he could hear little Kaylee in the background. During that conversation, Casey was telling Jesse that she needed to find a new place to live because her parents were getting a divorce and she wasn't able to live there anymore. I think in reality, her parents were probably like telling her she needed to leave because they were getting fed up with their shit. And so rather than admit that, she was telling people she needed a place to live because her parents were getting divorced. But either way, George at this time in the day is clocking into his shift at work, which starts at three. So while Jesse is on the phone with Casey and Kaylee is in the background, George is at work and it's corroborated by his timesheet that he did not get off work until 11 p.m. that night. Between 3 and 4 p.m., there was no activity on her phone, leaving me to assume that this could be when Kaylee died. So at 4.11 p.m., Casey tries calling her mom, Cindy, four times in two minutes, but doesn't get a hold of her. At 4.19, she calls Tony, and at this point, her phone is finally starting to ping away from her parents' home as she travels north towards Tony's apartment. She talks to Tony for one minute. Then a minute later, at 4.21, she calls her ex, Jesse, again. They talked for one minute. Then she calls her mom again at 425, but she doesn't answer. Another call is not made or received to or from Casey's phone until 557 that evening, and it was made to Tony's apartment. So that same evening, Tony and Casey go to Blockbuster together, and there are surveillance photos that show them casually strolling through the store with their arms around each other. Kaylee is not with them, and Kaylee is not with George or Cindy. No. 
So they rented a couple movies. One was a psychological thriller about an FBI agent tracking down a serial killer who posts videos of his victims on the internet. And the movie Jumper, about a mother who abandons her five-year-old child who can then teleport himself. What? This is sick. Sick. But the most important action from that day that was never discovered or reported by the prosecution was the fact that on June 16th, the day Kaylee went missing, the computer in the home that Casey so often used to stay up to date on our social medias like MySpace and Facebook showed that Google searches were made for, quote, foolproof suffocation, which was misspelled. And then from there, the user clicked on a link to an article about suicide that discussed taking poison and putting a bag over their head, like foolproof ways to kill yourself. Mm -hmm. Then on that same browser, there was activity on MySpace, which Casey was constantly on shortly after those searches were made. How was this missed? I'm sure you're asking. Mm -hmm. Well, the forensics done on the computer only searched the Internet Explorer activity and not the application Firefox. These are two separate applications to search the Internet. Casey often used Firefox when she got on the Internet, not Internet Explorer. So it was missed. Just from a different browser. Yes. And the only person who could have been at home at the time of these searches was Casey Anthony because both George and Cindy were already at work. And while we're talking about internet searches, there were also searches done on the home computer back in March of 08 for, quote, how to make chloroform, shovel, making weapons out of household products, chloroform habit, neck breaking, And these searches were done at a time when George and Cindy were both at work. So I believe it's safe to use your common sense here and assume Casey made these searches. Mm -hmm. These were brought up during the trial. However, Cindy tried to say it was her. Oh my God, I knew you were going to say that. The mom? Yes. She tried to say that she thinks it was her that made those surges because her dogs kept getting sick and she wondered if chlorophyll from the bamboo, bamboo plants outside were making them sick. And so she thinks that maybe she typed in chlorophyll but accidentally hit chloroform. What? And I thought about breaking their necks because I figured that would be the... Like, what? But it was still proven that she could not have made those searches because she was at work. I mean... It, It's just insane to me the lengths that she would be willing to go to protect her daughter. Who's a murderer. Who did something horrible. Mm -hmm. So, June 17th, Kaylee has now been gone for one day. There was no activity on Casey's phone until 11 a.m. when she talks to Amy about moving in together at at the house that Cindy was supposedly giving her. So she's still perpetuating this lie. And Amy asks for the address. Casey responds with the address saying, anytime love, like there's just nothing wrong in her, in her life, even though we know her daughter is dead at this point. Later that day, we don't know exactly what time, but one of the Anthony's neighbors said that he saw Casey's white Pontiac Sunfire backed into the garage, but he just never saw who was driving it. But Casey's phone did ping at the Anthony home that day from 2.30 to 4.00. After she left, her phone pinged back to Tony's apartment. 
Okay, now this is odd to me, and it's going to throw you for a loop, and I hate to say it, but it's a huge question mark that I don't have a clear answer for. So on June 17th, and this is true, okay? Like, this is going to blow your mind. A woman by the name of Zenaida Gonzalez goes to the Sawgrass Apartments to inquire about a two- or three-bedroom apartment. She filled out a guest card, which is like an inquiry slip with, slip with her general contact information on it. Amanda Macklin, who was working as the manager at that time, remembers her coming in to inquire about an apartment. She spoke Spanish. She knows it for sure was not Casey. Like, this is a real woman that exists. She never ended up moving in, though, and the leasing office eventually lost contact with her because Zenaida ended up changing her phone number. It was just Casey dressed up. No, Austin, it wasn't. Zenaida yeah. Gonzalez is a real person. Have you looked her up? Austin, I'll get there. I promise I'll get there. It's but Zenaida freak- Fernandez Gonzalez exists. It's no a real way. person that All right, exists. All you're going to keep going. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> have you ever seen SPFX masks? No. They're these masks, like, people were, like, robbing banks with them and stuff. Oh. They're, like, skin tight. They're skin special effects, and they were, they're used in movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, hypothetically, okay, you'd have, like, a white guy, and he would take a SPFX mask of, like, a 65-year-old black guy, and he would put it on. He'd put the hands on and everything and put a hoodie on and go rob a bank, and they'd be looking for this older black guy when it turns out the guy realistic. was a white guy because it's that realistic. So what I'm saying is that that's where my mind is, is like she's freaking got a mask or something. Yes, I understand. But let me just tell you right now, that's not the case. Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez is a real person that exists. I trust you because you're smart, but keep going. Okay. So if you'll remember, Sawgrass Apartments is the complex where Dante Salati lives. Right. Remember we talked about this yesterday. Yeah, you said remember it. Dante was engaged to Casey's friend Annie at the time that Casey was engaged to Jesse Grund. So we can safely assume that's how Casey is familiar with the Sawgrass Apartments. But later on, Casey tells investigators that she dropped Kaylee off with Zanny at the Sawgrass Apartments. And is it possible that it truly is just a huge coincidence that somebody by that name did in fact inquire about an apartment there the day after Kaylee goes missing? It's insanity. How could Casey have known this? She made Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez up, Gonzalez up more than a year prior. Did she have a run-in with Zenaida and just remember her name, like store it in her little fiber bank for later use? It's certainly not unlike her because she used a name she knew, Jeffrey Hopkins, as the guy who introduced her to Zenaida. Mm-hmm. But remember, Jeffrey Hopkins was a kid she went to school with, and they never kept in contact. He didn't have kids. It was just a name she remembered. And we'll dive more into that later, but this particular event just blows my mind because... How, like how how could that have happened without Casey like tell me you're going to come back to it like they interviewed her or something oh yeah they end up finding Zenaida Gonzalez okay. and I mean we get well, into then this then that's whole how thing. I know it's not Casey then yeah no it, it wasn't her it really truly was not her so the next day June 18th Kaylee is now gone for two days Casey goes home and asks the neighbor, Brian Burner, around 1.30 p.m. if she can borrow a shovel to dig up a bamboo root in the backyard that she keeps tripping over. 
he noticed again that her Pontiac Sunfire is backed into the garage. And I don't know if that's normal or not, like if that's what she normally did. But it's, I just wonder why he keeps saying, I noticed it was backed in, as if that's abnormal. Right. So she borrows the shovel, and then she returns it around 2.30, an hour later. But Casey didn't appear to be muddy or sweaty, so... He ends up handing it over to police later, and he hadn't used it, so I don't know what came of the shovel. But Thursday the 19th, Kaylee is now gone for three days, and she's Casey is apartment hunting with her boyfriend, Tony, and on Facebook, she's inviting her friends to come out to Fusion the next night, just acting like nothing is amiss. And so her friends probably think that Kaylee's with her family. Yes. Her family thinks that they're, and she's at a work trip with her. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she either tells her friends that Kaylee is with her parents or with the nanny. Throughout the next few weeks, that's what she keeps saying. But it's not just that simple, and we'll get to that. But Friday the 20th, Kaylee is now gone for four days. Casey comes home and again backs her car into the garage. There's activity on Facebook. She's telling her friends to come out to Fusion. She's photographed that evening at Fusion wearing the blue dress and the black knee-high boots, snuggled up with her friends in a booth, smiling from ear to ear. And this is also the night that Casey competed in a hot body contest. And there's pictures of her dancing on top of a table, grinding it up with her friends. The next day, Saturday the 21st, her friend Maria Kish, so this is her, so Tony's roommate, Clint House. We talked about him in the last episode. Maria is Clint's girlfriend. And she sees that Casey's been at Tony's apartment all weekend and Kaylee hasn't been with her. So she asks where Kaylee is and Casey tells her that she's at the beach with her nanny. That same day, Casey tells Cindy that Zanny and her roommate Raquel have taken Kaylee to Bush Gardens. Cindy asked Casey about Kaylee having enough clothes, and Casey expanded on her lies, saying that they actually just went shopping that weekend, they bought Kaylee all new clothes, and that Zanny keeps clothes, shoes, everything Kaylee needs at her place. Sunday the 22nd, Kaylee has now been gone for six days, and Cindy is asking Casey when they're coming back from Bush Gardens. Casey told Cindy that they'd be coming back the next day that they decided to stay an extra day so the adults could enjoy the park as well. And meanwhile, I don't know if I elaborated enough on this, but you know how Casey said she was going to that work trip. Mm -hmm. So she's essentially saying while she's on that work trip, Zenaida has Kaylee at Bush Gardens. But now they're deciding to stay an extra day so she can go to the park too. She also added that one of her coworkers from Universal joined them, a girl named Juliette Lewis. Not the actress, but it doesn't matter because Juliet's not real, and we find that out later. But Monday the 23rd, Kaylee's now been gone for seven days. The neighbor, Brian Burner, remembers seeing a truck outside the Anthony house, hearing Casey's voice and a male voice in the garage. It turns out Casey was there. She was breaking into George's shed and taking the gas cans and taking them with her because her car ran out of gas. Meanwhile, she told her mom that she had to spend another night in Tampa because they got into a car accident on the way home. She said Zanny and Raquel were about eight cars ahead of her. She and Juliet were behind them and witnessed the whole accident. Zanny and Raquel were taken to the Tampa... Tampa General Hospital for a broken arm and a concussion. 
and Casey was going to stay with her until their family arrived. Another elaborate lie. And when she had to stay down there for an extra day, it was because somehow the nurses missed a laceration on Raquel's head. How do you miss a head lack when you, first of all, how do you even believe that when you're a nurse? Cindy's a freaking nurse. Sounds like Cindy's in on it. No, it sounds like Cindy is dumb. Yeah, that's true. And she's just in extreme denial. And I hate to say that because she has been dealt a really shitty hand for a daughter. But at some point, you have to take some culpability in the fact that you don't discipline your daughter when she lies Mm -hmm. and steals and hurts people. So anyway... At this point, it's the 24th. Kaylee's been gone for eight days. And George notices that his shed was broken into and the gas cans were gone. So he calls the police and files a report that morning. Cindy calls to check on Casey and Kaylee. Casey continues to expand on the car accident. But at around 2.30, Casey shows back up to her parents' house. And I don't think she expected to see anybody there because she assumed, I'm sure, that George was already at work, but he wasn't. So he kind of catches her off guard. And she rushes in saying that she's just getting some clothes to go to work and that Kaylee is with the nanny. And he asks if she's talked to Cindy. And she says, yeah, I heard about your shed. That's a shame. And George is on to her. And he says... I'm going to get my wedge out of your car. And she's like, oh, I'll get it. Don't worry about it. I'll get it. And he tells her, no, I can get it. It's no big deal. She's like, no, I'll get it. Just give me a minute. And he says, I'm perfectly capable of getting this thing out of your car. I'll just go get it. She runs out to the car ahead of him, opens the trunk of the car, pulls out the gas cans that were stolen from the shed and says, here's your fucking gas cans. And George is just kind of taken taken aback because he didn't realize... She was the one that took them. I think he probably assumed that she was, but no like way. she's caught in this lie. And it's funny to me how she gets angry when she is caught in a lie. And we see it multiple times throughout the story when she's in jail and she's being interviewed. It's like videotaped and she gets really frustrated when, when she's caught, when it's just not working in the way she wants, you uh-huh. know? So, anyway. June 27th, Casey texts Amy in the morning saying, quote, there was definitely part of a dead animal plastered to the frame of my car, end quote. She had talked to her on the phone prior to that text, complaining that her car smelled horrible. The same day, she's talking to Cindy, who again asks when she and Kaylee are going to be home. And she tells Cindy, actually, my friend Jeff Hopkins, the guy who introduced me to Zanny, is in town, and he paid for us to stay with him at the Hard Rock Hotel for a few days. Oh, my God. So she made plans to be gone for the weekend. Later that day, video shows Casey and Tony shopping at JCPenney, buying clothes with Cindy's credit card. That same day, she runs out of gas for the second Friday in a row, but this time she's without the gas cans. So she just leaves her car at the Amscot, which is like a check-cashing place, And then Tony picks her up. That night, they go to Fusion, and people there recall seeing her as content and happy. Nothing seemed to be wrong. This whole story is definitely starting to strike me as she's either using drugs or she's a major alcoholic. (laughs) That's interesting that you say that. I I can see how that's plausible because she's obviously partying a lot. 
but also the patterns of behavior, mm-hmm. the lying, the breaking in, the stealing, the prioritizing things like shopping and all the other bullshit and your car mm-hmm. runs out of gas and you just ditch your car. That's something an addict would do. Right. And she's stealing because she doesn't have a job, but mm-hmm. she can't say she doesn't have a job. So why not just go out and get a fucking job? But like, even if she's stealing, she's stealing like she's not stealing for gas money. No, she's stealing she's, to shop. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's like a pattern of behavior that you would expect from an addict or something. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. So June 29th, Kaylee is now missing for 13 days. And this whole time she's been spending every night at Tony's. Now her car is sitting in a parking lot out of gas. So she she texts Amy to see if she can borrow her gas cans. But Amy's gas cans are in storage. All of her stuff is in storage. Because remember, Amy is supposed to be moving in with Casey. So Amy's just getting strung along at this point. And since Casey couldn't fill up her gas or her car with gas, the manager at Amscot calls to have the car towed. So the next day, June 30th, it's now been two weeks since Kaylee went missing. During those two weeks, Tony recalls a few times when Casey would wake up in a cold sweat, but she would claim that it was because she was having nightmares about him leaving her. Because you see, he was leaving to go back home for the week and she was worried about that, or that's what she said. I think she was probably waking up from nightmares about her daughter. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would at least hope, you know, in my heart that whatever shrivel of conscience she has left is screaming at her when she's asleep. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Tony flies to New York on Monday, the, th- the 30th, and he leaves his Jeep Cherokee with Casey for her to borrow. Now that Tony's gone, she finally has time to hang out with Amy again. So Casey spends the night at her place. And then the next day, on July 2nd, Amy realizes she's missing $400 that she had saved up for this Puerto Rico trip that they were all planning on taking. Casey convinces Amy that she hid it from herself while she was asleep, that she literally like tells Amy this story that, oh, you were talking to me. You must have been sleepwalking, but you were talking to me. And then you put the money somewhere and Amy believed her. Well, she's an idiot too. Well, okay. But in Amy's defense, she said that the story was convincing because I guess a couple weeks prior, Amy had changed her pants in her sleep and had no recollection of doing it. So the fact that Casey now says, oh, you must have- drunk? I I don't know. But regardless, Casey is texting her like, oh, I'll help you look for it. (laughs) She has it. That same day, July 2nd, Casey goes and uses that money to get a tattoo. And the tattoo says Bella Vita on her left shoulder, which stands for beautiful life. How beautiful is your life if you know your child is dead? And I guess she argued later on that it was supposed to be ironic that her life was anything but beautiful. So she got this tattoo for irony. Oh, please. I am not buying that for a second. July 3rd, George and Cindy have not heard or seen Kaylee in more than two weeks. And they're starting to get really impatient and Cindy is freaking out. So Lee, which is Casey's brother, hears that Casey is at a club called The Lodge, and he heads there to look for her. But Casey catches wind of this and leaves before he gets there. 
At this point, Cindy tries taking matters into her own hands and goes to Universal Studios looking for Casey and Kaylee. She gets right outside Universal and calls Casey to tell her to come out to the front. And Casey tells her, well, she's in Jacksonville. She's been working in Jacksonville all week. This was obviously a lie. And then Casey texts Jesse Grund and says, quote, there's something going on with my family right now. If my mom tries to call you, don't say anything. Stay out of it. I'll take care of it, end quote. That same evening, Cindy goes on MySpace and she makes a post hoping Casey will see it. It's titled, My Kaylee is Missing, Current Mood Distraught. And it says, quote, I'm going to read you the whole post, okay? Mm -hmm. She came into my life unexpectedly just as she has left me. This precious angel from above gave me strength and unconditional love. Now she is gone and I don't know why. All I am guilty of is loving her and providing her a safe home. Jealousy has taken her away. Jealousy from the one person that should be thankful for all the love and support given to her. A mother's love is deep. However, there are limits when one is betrayed by the one she loved and trusted the most. A daughter comes to her mother for support when she's pregnant. The mother says without hesitation, it will be okay. And it was. But then the lies and betrayal began. First, it seemed harmless. Ah, love is blind. A mother will look for the good in her child and give them a chance to change. This mother gave chance after chance for her daughter to change, but instead more lies and betrayal. What does the mother get for giving her daughter all these chances? A broken heart. The daughter who stole money, lots of money, leaves without warning and does not let her mother now speak to the baby that her mother raised, fed, clothed, sheltered, paid her medical bills, etc. Instead, tells her friends that her mother is controlling her life and she needs her space. No money, no future. Where did she go? Who is now watching out for the little angel? End quote. That's a pretty powerful post to put out there. I feel like this is the most honest Cindy has been with herself throughout the entire ordeal. Probably her whole life. And maybe even her whole life. The 4th of July, Casey goes to a party with Amy at a guy named Will's house. Casey tells people at the party that Kaylee is at SeaWorld for the weekend. Cindy calls Casey and asks if she can take Kaylee to see the fireworks. But Casey is still telling her she's in Jacksonville with Jeff. Finally, the 5th, Tony is back from New York, so Casey can stop kind of wondering where she's going to be spending the night since she obviously couldn't go home. Kaylee has now been gone for 19 days. July 8th, Kaylee has been gone for 22 days, and this is the day Casey was supposed to go to Puerto Rico with her friends, but she can't go, of course, because she has no money. So instead, she offers to take Amy to the airport. Did she ever get her car back? No. Okay. Not at this point. So she offers to take Amy to the airport, and then she starts using Amy's car, claiming that her Pontiac Sunfire is in the shop, getting fixed for this faulty gas gauge, and that's why it kept running out of gas. I always ask at stupid times. It's okay. I mean, it's just, it's funny to me, because Mm -hmm. obviously it's like, I'm about to tell you. Very well written. Thank you. But in reality, her car is sitting in a tow yard still. So after Casey drops Amy off at the airport, she goes to Target and she spends $111.01 using one of Amy's checks. 
Two days later, she goes to another Target, buys a blue hoodie, a bra, a beret, a few other things, using another check of Amy's, spending $137.77. The same day, she goes to another Target and buys Bud Light, Sudafed, Mucinex, and a few other things, again, with a check of Amy's, this time totaling $155.47. The next day, July 11th, she uses another check of Amy's at Winn-Dixie for $92.62. Later, Casey cashed a check, a forged check of Amy's to herself for $250. These total $746.87. And can you imagine being Amy? She's already lost $400 in cash. Which, by the way, I didn't even mention this, but there was one night they were all out and Casey had to get her car towed because she had two flat tires and it cost $80. Amy loaned her the $80 to get her car towed. So she's out $400 in cash plus the $80 that she loaned her that she knew about. But then she goes out of the country. What a shitty situation to be in. Out of the country. And then back home, your best friend is stealing all of your money. Oh, my God. Like, she could have been stranded in Mexico with no money. I mean, that is such a shitty thing to do. And this dirtbag doesn't even care. No. That's, that is how low her moral compass is. So July 13th, Cindy's still trying to get Casey to come home with Kaylee. And Casey is telling her she's still in Jacksonville because now Jeff's mom is getting married, so they're staying another day. It's like she just keeps extending the lie. And then July 15th, Kaylee has now been gone for 30 days. Casey picks up Amy from the airport. At this point, Amy still has no idea Casey's been stealing from her. Oh, my goodness. That same day, Casey used Amy's checking account information to pay for a $547 phone bill. Amy has no idea yet, drops Casey off at Tony's, and then later gets a call from Cindy. Cindy is pissed. She's more upset than she's ever been because earlier that day, they found Casey's car at an impound lot. And when they went to pick it up, they were horrified by the smell emanating from the trunk of the car. George said he got within three feet of the car and smelled a unique scent burned into his memory since working as a homicide detective. It was the unmistakable scent of human decomposition. Even the wrecker, who was there with them, recognized the scent because a man committed suicide in a vehicle in the lot and wasn't discovered for five days. But when they opened the trunk, there was nobody there. Instead, they found a bag of rotting trash that the wrecker ultimately threw away, and it was never recovered, but there was apparently a pizza in there, and there was maggots and flies that flew out of the trunk. Still in the car was Kaylee's backpack that George said she carried with her on June 16th. No clothes, but there was a toothbrush and a couple hair things for Kaylee. Kaylee's car seat was still in the car, and in it was her baby doll. The car and everything in it smelled so horrible. Once they got the car back to the house, they left the trunk open and the windows down to air it out, and Cindy sprayed Febreze, hoping to kind of mask the smell. It's often been asked why they didn't call 911 about the smell in the car right away, especially with 
George, having experience recognizing that smell, you would have to know something mm-hmm. is wrong. Call 911. And it's a question with no real answer. I'm sure they regret it to this day. But I think that deep in they, their heart, they really hoped they were wrong. And I think they hoped their whole life that everything that presented to be true about Casey was wrong. They didn't want to believe what their daughter could be capable of. So back at the house, Cindy went through the front passenger seat and found a piece of paper with Amy's phone number on it. So she calls Amy and told Amy what was going on, that they hadn't seen Kaylee in a month. Casey's been lying to them. She wants to know where she is. And Amy's like, well, I can take you there. I was just there. I just dropped her off at Tony's apartment. Mm -hmm. So Casey is hanging out at Tony's apartment. Tony and his roommate are playing video games while Casey is sitting on the couch on the computer. And there's a knock on the door. Tony says, come in. And Amy opens the door She's standing there with what Tony described as a miserable look on her face. Amy is there with Casey's mom, Cindy, and they are not happy. And at this point, Amy has finally come to realize that Casey is a liar, that she lied about getting the house, about her dad having a stroke, about the money that she misplaced misplaced in her sleep. Amy then checks her bank account, and the balance is negative with checks still pending, And that's when she realized that she left her checkbook in her glove compartment and Casey was borrowing her car while she was gone. Oh my gosh. Gosh. Oh my, I just, oh my goodness. Delete that. I just said, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Can we please keep it? This is stupid. I sound like a complete idiot. I just cannot stop saying, oh my God. I'm my goodness. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I almost did it again. again. (laughs) This is freaking bonkers. Oh my God, I know. Okay, we're going to keep it. So anyway, Cindy tells Casey to get her things because she's leaving with them. And as Casey is grabbing her stuff, Cindy tells Tony, who, by the way, she's never met. She says, quote, I hope you're rich because Casey's going to take all your money and leave you high and dry. So the three women leave and Tony's just sitting there like, what the fuck just happened? A few hours pass, and he hasn't heard from Casey, so he texts her, and he hears her phone go off because she left her phone at his house. And he searches her phone for Amy's phone number, gets a hold of Amy, who tells him to check his bank account and make sure his roommates check theirs too because she's been stealing money from everybody. Then, Tony gets a call from an unsaved 407 area code number. He answers it, and it's Casey's brother, Lee. And Lee tells Tony that Casey has just admitted to the family that she hasn't seen Kaylee in 31 days. Tony is completely shocked. He knew he hadn't seen Kaylee for about a month either, but at any time that he asked about Kaylee, he either assumed she was with her grandparents or Casey said she was with her nanny. Everything Casey has said the tower of lies that she has been telling for over a month now is starting to crumble. So that night, Cindy finally calls 911 three times on her daughter. And I'm going to leave you with these three recordings. So first, she calls because of the theft, then an possible missing child. But then between phone calls two and three, Casey finally admits that the babysitter stole Kaylee and she needs to report her missing. So I'm going to go ahead and play those for you now. I'm Lisa, sound to be recorded. I can help you. Thank you. Hello. 
Hi, I'm, I drove to the police department here on Pershing, but you guys are closed. I need to bring someone into the police department. Can you tell me where I can, the closest one I can come into? What, what are you trying to accomplish by bringing them to the station? I have a 22-year-old person that has um, grand theft sitting in my auto with me. So the 22-year-old person stole something? Yes. Is this a relative? Yes. Where did they steal it from? Um, my car and also money. Okay, is this your son? Daughter. Okay, so your daughter stole money from your car? No, my car was stolen. We've retrieved it today. We found out where it was at. We retrieved it. I've got that, and I've got affidavit for my banking account. I want to bring her in. I okay. want to press charges. Where, where did all of this happen? Oh, it, it's been happening. No, no, but I need to establish a jurisdiction is what I'm trying to uh, Oh, well, I lived in, um, in Orlando. Yeah, but what address did these thefts occur at? Um, well, I guess my residence, I guess. Okay. That's actually going to be in the jurisdiction of the sheriff's office, ma'am, not okay. the Orlando Police Department. All righty. Let, let me transfer you over to the communications section for Orange County. Okay. Now, is the Orlando Sheriff's Department the one on 436, that, is that open this afternoon, this evening? Uh, the substation you're at on Pershing, if it's Orlando Police, we're, we're open primarily during the day. Uh-huh. But that's not the sheriff. That's the city police, which does not right. have jurisdiction for your address. And then there's the sheriff's department on, I mean, on 436. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to transfer you to the sheriff's communication section, and you can um, determine that. Hold on. Okay. Because my next thing will be down to trial and we'll have a court order to get her. If that's what you want to play, we'll do it, and you'll never. Well, then you have No, I'm not giving you another day. I've given you a month. All right. Nine one one. what is the address that's happening? Um, I have someone here that I need to um, be arrested in my home. They're and there right I now? Have a possible missing child. I have a three-year-old that's been missing for a month. A three-year-old? Yes. Have you reported that? I'm trying to do that now, ma'am. Okay, what did the person do that you need arrested? My daughter. For what? For stealing an auto and stealing money. I already spoke with someone. They said they would patch me through the Orlando um, Sheriff's Department have a deputy here. I was in the car. I was going to drive her to the police station, and no one's open. They said they would bring a deputy to my home when I got home to call them. So she stole your vehicle? Yes. When did she do that? Um, on the 30th. I just got it back from the impound. I'd like to speak to an officer. Can you have someone come out to my house? Okay. Okay, I gotta ask you these questions so I can put them in the in the call, okay? Okay. Thirtieth of June. Yes. Okay. How old is your daughter? Twenty-two. Okay. What's her name? My name. Her name. Her name.
And you said you have this vehicle back? Yes. That has the um, statement. She's there right now? Yes, I got it. I finally found her after a month. She's been missing for a month. I found her, but we can't find my granddaughter. Um, five foot one and a half. Thin, medium, or heavy build? Thin. Color hair? Brown. What color uh, shirt is she wearing? White. What color pants? Oh, they're shorts. They're um, clad. They're like pink and teal and white and black clad. Does she have any weapons on her? No. Is she not telling you where her daughter is? Correct. Okay, we'll have a deputy out to you as soon as one's available, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Nine one one, what's your emergency? <laughs> I called a little bit ago, the deputy sheriff saying I found out my granddaughter has been taken. She has been missing for a month. Her, her mother finally admitted that she's been missing. Okay, what is what someone is, here now? Okay, what is the address that you're calling from? We're talking about a three-year-old little girl. My daughter finally admitted that the baby's in the store. I need to find her. Your daughter admitted that your ba the baby is where? But the babysitter took her a month ago that my daughter's been looking for. I told you my daughter was missing for a month. I just found her today, but I can't find my granddaughter. And she just admitted to me that she's been trying to find her herself. There's something wrong. I found my daughter's car today, and it smells like there's been a dead body in the damn car. Okay, what is the three-year-old's name? Kaylee. C-A-Y-L-E-E. -E, Anthony. Kaylee Anthony? Yes. Okay, is she white, black, or Hispanic? She's white. How long has she been missing for? I have not seen her since the 7th of June. What is her date of birth? Um, 8, 8, 9, 2000, oh gosh, she's 3, she's 2005. <laughs> George King, this is me. Okay, I just can, I need I, I understand I can you just can you calm down for me for just a minute and just, I need to know what's going on, okay? I'm gonna try and talk <laughs> Is your is your daughter there? Is your daughter there? Yes. Can I speak with her? Do you mind if I speak with her? Thank you. I called them two hours ago. They haven't gotten here. Can you see? Finally, the minute they took her a month ago, she was trying to find her. Ma'am. Ma'am. Okay, Santa's here. They want to talk to you. Answer the question. Hello? Hello? Yes. Hi. Well, can you, can you tell me what's going on a little bit? I'm sorry? Can you tell me a little bit what's going on? My daughter's been missing for the last 31 days. And you know who has her? I know who has her. I've tried to contact her. I actually received a phone call today. 
now from a number that is no longer in service. I did get to speak to my daughter for about a moment, about a minute. Okay, she, did you guys call and report a vehicle stolen? Um, yes, my mom did. Okay, okay so there's been a vehicle stolen too? No, this was my vehicle. What vehicle was stolen? Um, it's a 98 Pontiac Sunfire. Okay, I have deputies on the way to you right now for that. So now you're now you're three old okay, your three old daughter's missing. Kaylee Anthony. Yes. White Kaylee female. Anthony. Yes, white female. Three years old, eight nine, two thousand five is her date of birth. Yes. And you last saw her a month ago? Thirty one days. Some thirty one days. Who has her? Do you have do you have a name? Her name is Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez. Who is that? Babysitter? She's she's been my nanny for about a year and a half, almost two years. Can, why why are you calling now? Why didn't you call 31 days ago? I've been looking for her and have gone through other resources to try to find her, which is stupid. Okay. But can you can you give me the name of the the nanny again? Like spell it out for me. Zenaida, Z E N, A I, D A. Last name. Fernandez. Fernandez. Hyphen Gonzalez. I think the officers are here. The officers are there? Yes. Okay, so obviously there is a lot to unpack here. One thing I, or actually two things I want to point out about Kaylee's, or I'm sorry, Casey's reaction in this is at one point you can hear her in the background saying, I don't have anything to say to them, or I don't have any answers for them or something along those lines. I don't want to answer any questions or something like that. Yeah. yeah when Cindy says they want to talk to her on the phone and then when she does get on the phone, she's like, hello. Like she just can't possibly be bothered by an actual department that is capable of helping her find her daughter. But also it just shakes me up listening to it because you can hear Cindy pissed in the first couple calls, and then the complete distraught emotion um, coming from her in the third call, it just makes me sick to my stomach because I can't imagine what that was like for her to finally be told, you're right, Kaylee has been gone for 31 days. Well, and even though she endorses Casey's bullshit all the time, she's got to know. Yeah. Like, with the car and everything else, I mean... It's all so obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, I, this is a freaking cliffhanger, to say the least, because I'm knowing nothing except for what you've told me. I'm like, I have so many questions about the trial and Zenaida and all these things. Like, I have no idea how how did we get to this point all these years later and Casey's been free all this time and now she has a Netflix documentary coming out? Peacock, but yeah. A peacock, yeah. So um, I also want to point out that Cindy said in the call that she hadn't seen Kaylee since the 7th. But I think Cindy just got her dates wrong because it was obviously Cindy that took Kaylee to um, the nursing home to see her father on Father's Day, which was the 15th. So I think in that moment, she just, she didn't know exactly what day it was. But in her report, Casey writes, I'm going to just read to you exactly what she wrote. She says, quote, on Monday, June 9th, 2008, between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m., I, Casey Anthony, took my daughter, Kaylee Marie Anthony, to her nanny's apartment. Kaylee will be three years old on August 9th, 2008. 
She was born August 9th, 2005. Kaylee is about three feet tall, white female with shoulder length, light brown hair. She has dark hazel eyes, brown slash green, and a small birthmark on her left shoulder. On the day of her disappearance, Kaylee was wearing a pink shirt with jean shorts, white sneakers, and her hair was pulled back in a ponytail. On Monday, June 9th, 2008, between 9 and 1 p.m., I took Kaylee to the Sawgrass Apartments located on Conway Road. Kaylee's nanny, Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez, has watched her for the past year and a half to two years. Zenaida is 25 years old and is from New York. She's roughly 5'7", 140 pounds. She has dark brown, curly hair, and brown eyes. Zenaida's birthday is in September. I met Zenaida through a mutual friend, Jeffrey Michael Hopkins. She had watched his son, Zachary Hopkins, for about six months to a year. I met Zenaida in 2004 around Christmas. On the date listed above, June 9th, 2008, after dropping Kaylee off at Zenaida's apartment, I proceeded to head to my place of employment, Universal Studios Orlando. I have worked at Universal for over four years, since June of 2004. I left work around 5 p.m. and went back to the apartment to pick up my daughter. However, after reaching the apartment, I realized that neither Zenaida, Kaylee, or either of her two roommates were home. I have briefly met Raquel Farrell and Jennifer Rossa on various occasions. After calling Zenaida to see where she and Kaylee were and when they were coming home, I waited outside of the apartment. I had called Zenaida earlier that morning prior to bringing Kaylee over for the afternoon. When I called her that afternoon, her phone was no longer in service. Two hours passed, and around 7 p.m., I left the apartment and headed to familiar places that Zenaida would go with Kaylee. One of Kaylee's favorite places is Jay Blanchard Park. I spent the rest of that evening pacing and worrying at one of the few places I felt, quote, at home, my boyfriend, Anthony Lazaro's apartment. For the past four weeks since Kaylee's disappearance, I have stayed at Anthony's apartment in Sutton Place. I have spent every day since Monday, June 9th, 2008, looking for my daughter. I have lied and stolen from my friends and family to do whatever I could by any means to find my daughter. I avoided calling the police or even notifying my own, my own family out of fear. I have been and still am afraid of what has or may happen to Kaylee. I have not had any contact with Zenaida since Thursday, June 12th, 2008. I received a quick call from Zenaida. Not once I've been, have I been able to ask her for my daughter or gain any information on where I can find her. Every day I have gone to malls, parks, and any place I could remember Zenaida taking Kaylee. I have gone out and tried to find any information about Kaylee or Zenaida, whether by going to a popular bar or restaurant. I've contacted Jeff Hopkins on several occasions to see if he had heard from or seen Zenaida. Jeff currently lives in Jacksonville, Florida. On Tuesday, July 15th, around 12 p.m., I received a phone call from my daughter, Kaylee. Today was the first day I have heard her voice in over four weeks. I'm afraid of what Kaylee is going through after 31 days. I know that the only thing that matters is getting my daughter back with many and all attempts to contact Zenaida and within the one short conversation on June 12, 2008, I was never able to check on the status or well-being of my daughter. Zenaida never made an attempt to explain why Kaylee is no longer in Orlando or if she is even ever going to bring her home, end quote. Such bullshit. <laughs> I'm like floored. How did she get away with this? 
This is such bullshit. The entire report is a lie except for the birthdays, I think. Everything is a lie. This is unreal. I know. I have so many questions. Mm -hmm. This would mark the beginning of a worldwide sensation as Casey tries to pull on the public and police what she's been pulling on her parents for years. I don't know how she got away with it, but we'll touch more on that in the next episode. In part one, I asked you, is anybody that's listening, does anybody out there think that she's actually innocent? After listening to this, I if can't you imagine. are out there, just I just... undownload the podcast. <laughs> Stop following me, I guess. I don't know. I can't relate. I can't relate. Um, so yeah, the next episode is going to be part three. We're going to talk about Casey's actions with the police leading them on a wild goose chase through Universal Studios and then the unfortunate discovery of Kaylee's remains. Well, we have an episode about the trial also. Yes. I don't know if that'll be in the same episode or if I'll make that a part four. Okay. There's just so much to unpack. You got me roped in. Yep. Mama. Mystery. Out. Bye.